Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickthesportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. So welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And we have a very special guest for you today. This is actually a very special moment for this podcast because we are now um, an international podcast having Miss Tessa Wilson uh, with us from the UK today. So it's actually very early in the morning here in the US. Uh, we were joking. I told her this is the Breakfast at Wimbledon um, episode for the podcast. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So, you know, thank you for coming on. We've been working through this because we have this time difference. I think of about six hours or so. I believe it's about midday for you, but it's very early here. Uh, but, you know, we had to do arranging schedules and different things to get this done. But I'm very glad that you're here and I can't wait to share your story. Thank you. All right. So you are the CEO of Fit for Icons and Gifts for Icons, which is a scrub company, as well as gifts for medical providers. Uh, so tell us about your company. Well, just first, tell us what your company is. Okay, so I'm the director of Fit for Icons, which is a predominantly a scrubs work essentials type business for health, veterinary and dentistry professionals. I'm just about to launch Gifts for Icons, which will sell, as the name says, gifts for those professions, but also for education workers and social care workers, because I predominantly focus on public sector services, because that's where my interests and values align. Okay, so the icons, what's the icons piece? Uh, because, go ahead. The icons is because I really believe since COVID, which opened my eyes to so many things that we need to refocus on what we consider to be icons. And for me, those people are the modern day icons of our time and deserve that title. And we should be pushing and advocating for people to recognize um, that those ordinary people are absolute I don't want to use the word heroes because I don't like it and it brings all sorts of other connotations and expectations along with their own so I don't like that word but definitely I think the public sector so in the UK anyway uh, predominantly public sector workers are the icons of our times and that's why I chose that name for the business that's great and I'm glad that I asked that because I had no clue but you know, on behalf of, you know, me being a medical worker and a medical provider, healthcare provider, I want to say thank you because that does mean a lot. And as we know, it seems like it's been years ago, but three years ago, 2020, everybody goes on lockdown and the pandemic starts and there's hero signs and there's all the kind of applauding physicians and applauding nurses and then as this continues to drag on from weeks to months to years, that love and support seems to fade away. 
And many Absolutely. other things, you know, I've spoken with doctors where they felt completely unsupported or they felt like their health and, and you know, longevity and everything was being put on the back burner for many different reasons. But, you know, thank you for seeing the work that we do as being important and for celebrating us in that way. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that, you know, during that time, we were all out there clapping and saying what how wonderful they are and they're heroes and they're doing all these things and as soon as we don't need them anymore where has all that gone you know where has all that support and gratitude uh, where has it gone because certainly in the UK I don't know if you're aware but there's a lot of unhappiness um, from the public sector workers who are out striking because their pay has been eroded over so many years and you know the cost of living has gone up and they cannot keep or sometimes can't even keep them themselves and their families afloat because um, the pay is not in line with the inflation and uh, cost of living rises and it almost feels like now that we were saying you're heroes and you're wonderful people and now that we don't need them in that capacity anymore it's well we don't value you we're not going to pay you your worth you're not going to have a pay rise and almost blaming them for all the problems and issues that are in the health services that are in the schools that are in the social care services and i just think we really need to be more supportive and we need to stop calling people heroes because that suggests that they can do they have superpowers they have super resilience we're saying you know in the uk about rising prices um, yeah and uh, to the point where we have nurses and teachers and social workers using food banks that's just not right that's absolutely something is desperately wrong when we've got these people we were calling heroes three years ago who are still suffering the impact of covid and we're now no longer clapping and we're blaming them for all the ills that are going on and saying you know you're not working hard enough or and almost saying that all the problems are because of those individuals rather than saying actually it's the structures the processes the systems the lack of funding um, over more than a decade that has led to these crumbling systems that if it wasn't for those people working within them goodness knows what kind of mess we would be in you know and i don't know how that compares to the us but that's certainly the situation in the uk sure and, you know, as you know, most of my listeners are from the U.S., so it might seem kind of odd to hear about things like this, about the healthcare system. Of course, we have problems with our healthcare system here, but the salary part is completely different. The ability to be able to take care of your family, we're frustrated about certain things, but in many cases, not the ability to take care of some of the most common needs of food, clothing, and shelter. I realized that there was recently a strike amongst some of the healthcare workers, especially some of the um, junior physicians in the UK. Um, And you have a daughter that's also a physician, correct? Yes. Yes. My daughter, she's a general practitioner. 
Sure, sure. Uh, well, yeah, as you mentioned, different world, different set of problems, but thank you for still highlighting um, the struggles that our healthcare workers and like you mentioned, just daily people are going through in your country. Yeah, yeah. I think as well, you know, that um, the, obviously in the UK we have a national health service so sure. that's a service that provides health care that's free at the point of delivery and it's a great system and it's a great system for those people who would not otherwise be able to afford health care and in a lot of respects it works really well however if we have politicians whose agenda is to long-term erode it to the point where it can no longer sustain itself and the only solution is private providers, then that appears to be the path we're going down. And so what do you do with a, a, a system in order to bring, to bring in the private providers and to be able to say that they are the knights, the knights on char white chargers that are coming in to save us, is to starve that system, make it not work, make people unhappy about it so they, they grumble and complain this isn't working, I'm having to wait 18 months for my operation or it's taking me two weeks to see a doctor. So make people unhappy, which is where we're at, starve it of the funding and then say, you know what, this is not working, let's bring in some private providers who can make it work for us. And that appears to be the pathway we're heading down. And I know that, you know, a lot of people have said, well, private provision would be a really good thing, but really would it? Because certainly things that I've read um, about the, U you know, in comparison to the US system is that people who are on the lower incomes can't always provide the level of insurance they need to be able to protect themselves adequately. And then if they can't protect themselves adequately, when they need those services, they're put into financial positions that can make them lose their homes, make them lose everything. And I was also reading that one of the biggest financial disasters that precedes homelessness in the US is people being unable to to pay their medical bills so you know in a lot of respects it's not the panacea that we're looking for and maybe some kind of hybrid service would work better but it almost creates a two-tier system of the haves and have-nots um, yeah which can be not what we're aiming for um, yeah. you kind of referenced that before but the difference one of the main difference to in healthcare is access and as you mentioned, sometimes waiting 18 months for a procedure or how long is the typical wait time to get in to see a provider? I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a healthcare professional. I sure. don't know. I, all I know is the anecdotal things of people sure. waiting a long yeah. time to be able to see health professionals. And, you know, it's not uncommon 
in fact, it's probably quite common to wait two weeks just to see your doctor locally, you know. So mm. that's because the number of GPs is far fewer than it was even in 2015. And yet the demand for services has, has grown greatly. So you've got fewer doctors and more people, higher expectations. And, you know, and then you throw COVID into the mix and you've got all the demand from because operations are not taking place and the hospitals are not providing the same level. And I'm not, you know, trying to um, say that in a negative way. It was just a fact um, that because of that and people's chronic conditions need managing, where do they go? They go to their local doctor. So on top of being depleted in their workforce, they had the additional demands from the you know that secondary care service and then they had to deliver all the vaccines as well so they just absolutely on their knees and we've had really negative press saying these lazy doctors why can't I get an appointment well that's why people that's why you can't get your appointment because you can't expect people to work twice as many hours and not be affected by it and not be burnt out and not be stressed and even to the point where you know people are leaving in droves because they just cannot continue in that same vein anymore and especially when the salaries don't if you've got an amazing salary you could say all right well yeah you know I'm really well paid for this but they're not yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's, it saddens me to hear that as a healthcare provider, because I know the sacrifices that nurses, physicians, whoever it might be, have made to get to the point where they are. Mm-hmm. And it, very, it saddens me when you have to leave a profession, not on your own will, but because of other circumstances around you. So, you know, many times we're, we work in a bubble and we can be ignorant to really what's going on around us in the world. Um, But thank you for highlighting that. So let's shift to, you know, talking about you and what led you to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, you have this company. What was the drive to create this company? Well, it's not the only business I have. This Fit for Icons was predominantly set up following COVID or uh, even during COVID because the drive, I've always had that drive um, to something meaningful, I suppose. You know, that's just the person I am. And I know that that's from my own personal background. I'm not sure I really want to go into that a great deal. Sure. Just to say that my mum died when I was eight. And my, so I'm from a large family of six children. I've got three older sisters, I'm the youngest girl, and two younger brothers. The youngest brother has cerebral palsy and learning disabilities. My mum died when I was eight, and my father was not able to cope and turned to alcohol. Um, My older siblings all went to live with other relatives. My youngest brother was taken into care, and 
uh, that left me and my brother with my father. And I think during that time, it taught me a lot of life skills. And I don't say it in a negative way at all, because I look back on that time and I cannot relate to that little girl at all. You know, it's almost like that was not me. So, but what it did do was give me a lot of skills to be able to cope with. I have a really strong self-belief. I can cope with anything life throws at me, no matter what it is. And if something's difficult, so what? It will not be difficult forever. I can move on from that. I think that's what my background gave me. But it also gave me a sense of, so for a period of time, um, with just me and my brother, I was predominantly the main caregiver. And I say that very loosely because there was not a lot of caregiving. You know, we just existed together. And so when we went to school and things, we were not clean, we were not fed, we were very clearly different. And so I developed a sense of feeling different and feeling, and children are cruel, aren't they? You know, and when people are not around, they call you names and and they're generally not nice to you. And I think I developed almost a, an inferiority complex from that feeling um I'm not good enough I don't fit in you know that kind and I took that with me to adulthood this is the first time I've ever shared this story with a lot you know the only people that know this story probably are my close family so that experience really shaped me into who I am, but what it also gave me was this drive and determination to get as far away from those starting blocks as I possibly could. And that's never gone away. You know, I still have that drive almost. And I can only say it was probably based on fear, fear of ever going back to that point or that situation. My saving grace was I was bright and I had some amazing teachers, certainly in the early years, who um, recognised that and nurtured that in me. But certainly from the other side of it, the social side of it with the other children, yeah, I did not feel as though I belonged or I fit in or I was good enough. And so... I suppose that's been the driver for creating the businesses, but also along with that has been a sense of, because I felt like that and never wanted other people to feel like that. And so I um, and always have been acutely aware of other people feeling like that. And so I would seek out those people that I felt were being made to feel like that. And for that reason, and so when I was a teenager and I was looking at where do I go, what do I do with life, I fleetingly did consider being a doctor. Because I didn't have family support or anything else, that was, yeah, that was just never going to happen. And honestly, looking back, was would not have been the right 
career for me anyway. So I, I couldn't go to university. I just did not have any any kind of support that would enable me to do that. So I was looking for what can I do that will allow me to have a job, have a home, but at the same time meet my interests. And so I became a nurse. And that way I was I went to live in the local nurse's home and I had a job. I just met my first boyfriend who I then ended up marrying at 18, left nursing to have my first child and I never went back. And I never went back because it was not the right career for me. And so I had my son and I had become interested in having worked in nursing, looking at how it's not just about the person's health, this is about the holistic self. And one of the biggest impacts on a lot of people is their social care environment, you know, the environments that they live in. So I've become interested in social care and how it all fit together. And so I went on to, to do, so I did go to university and I did a degree in health and social care policy. So that was you know, my interests in that area were growing. So I did the degree in that and then ended up going to work in a local authority, in a social care uh, authority. I also then went on to do a degree in social work and ended up climbing the career ladder within those environments, worked in commissioning, worked in quality management and when I got to senior management level thought, I'm really not affecting the change that I want to affect. And through those jobs and through going through the senior management process, I became more and more interested in the business side of how these services works. And again, being in the UK where they are public sector services, I felt really disillusioned with the way they were going so they became more and more focused on the target driven and chasing targets and they lost sight of who they were and during that time I did um, an MBA and thought I can affect more change from outside of the business because if I haven't got the restrictions placed on me that I have within those services, I can, you know, I can do something else. So um, I became a business consultant, worked across health and social care services for many years, but found increasingly that because they became more target driven and they became, and they couldn't operate as businesses because, you know, as a public sector service, your job is to not grow that business. You're not looking to grow your business. You're looking to gatekeep. You're looking to prevent people accessing your service. And the worse things got, the higher the, the barriers got for people entering those services um, because of a lack of resources and also because of the target driven side of things then stifles innovation 
totally stifles innovation because resources are going into the wrong place and there's nothing there to develop new services and create things that actually really meet people's needs. So it became more and more a one-size-fits-all type of approach. And I, I really became disillusioned with that. By the time my children had grown up, you know, my daughter went on to medical school, my son's uh, an accountant. And so by the time they'd grown up, I really wasn't sure what direction I wanted my life to take. And I don't think you're ever too old to do something new. You know, you're never too old to do something new. Uh, so, and it was at that time my daughter got married and she was having her first child and I thought I'm going to take a step back here because I want to enjoy my family and I want to be an active participant in my grandchild's daycare and so I started taking a step back and then COVID happened. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. fundamentally changed who I am but what it did was take me back to my roots and take me back to my roots in a, a really positive way because somewhere along the line I'd lost myself and I had become again because of the background and this drive to get away from that what I'd started doing was focusing on material things and the more material things I got, the more secure I felt. And so filling my life with material things and thinking that's going to make me happy. And of course, you know, so I went down the pathway of buying big expensive things. And um, yeah, I, I just lost who I was, I think, and um, got to a point where during COVID or when COVID started, it really made me totally reevaluate my life. And that's how the new business was born. So when COVID started, and I don't know again about the US, but in the UK, we had a desperate shortage of PPE. Yes. Um, yeah, so absolutely desperate. So people were going to work terrified because they did not have the basic necessities to keep them safe and of course my daughter being one of those so as a parent I was thinking okay what can I do to help what can I do for my little bit for my local community and so I started sewing face masks Firstly for her, and then was inundated from her colleagues. And then that grew. And I thought, I'm going to do this properly. So I started um, an online group. And within the space of two weeks, I had over 400 volunteers, all right. sewing. 
um, face masks, scrubs, ear protectors, scrub bags, anything needed, but not just for health professionals, but also for teachers who were having to go in and teach the children of frontline workers because they were classed as essential key workers, for social care workers, lots and lots of local GP practices who were still providing services. And so it grew into this enormous thing that I hadn't intended it to do at the start. And during that time, heard the most heartbreaking stories. Sure. And even, you know, things like end of life couldn't care could not be given within hospices and things because people didn't have the right PPE. Well, that's something's going wrong, drastically wrong in supposedly rich societies when we're at that kind of position. And again, as we said at the beginning of the um, of, of our chat, that uh, people were out there saying, these people are heroes, oh, how wonderful, that some people were living at the hospitals and living within their job so that they wouldn't take this home to their families. And they were, you, you know, that selfless, selfless, giving to others and that service to others and it really made me think where have you gone where have you lost yourself along the way here and so I I wanted to do something to give back and very beautiful yeah so so I wanted to do something to give back but to give back in a meaningful way and the Fit for Icons, the scrubs and the scrubware, that's an easy thing to do. That's not really giving back. And so I really sat and thought, what can I do? So the Fit for Icons was set up with a view to creating a business that would be able to really give back. So alongside Fit for Icons, I have set up the Fit for Icons Foundation. The Fit for Icons Foundation is about... Hold on, um, I wanna, hold on, before you get into that, I want to, let's just put a pin for the Fit for Icons Foundation. Okay, Because yeah. I definitely want to hear about that. But number one, thank you for sharing your story. And because it makes it all makes a lot more sense when we hear where you came from and how you started, um, you know, as a young child with the responsibility of your brother and overcoming poverty, overcoming brokenness and really continuing to bring that with you and kind of creating a fire and a drive to number one, be successful, but also not to be successful on your own and to help other people. And just listening to you, it sounds like you never lost that touch of it's okay if I'm successful, but it's not okay if everyone around me is suffering, which I think is something that most people or a lot of people lose along the way as you become successful and as you acquire more things. And then, you know, not taking, you mentioned becoming a nurse and not having the education and then going back, getting an MBA, but continuing to climb and use all those previous steps to continue to shape who you are 
you know, as a consultant and now, you know, as an entrepreneur and things of that nature. So I just wanted to highlight that and thank you uh, for sharing your journey. Uh, and then you mentioned COVID, how it changed you. I think COVID changed a lot of people. COVID was the birth of this podcast, to be honest. COVID uh, was the reason why many of us took a step back and said, okay, life is was okay, but were we really living to our fullest potential? Were we really doing our, our purpose that we were placed on this earth to do? And I think looking in that mirror and actually having a time to slow down and step back a little bit really changed the outlook of a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. All right. So now you were mentioning the Fit for um, Icons Foundation. Tell us about that. Okay. So I started the Fit for Icons business with a view to creating a range of scrubware that was actually fit for purpose because during the COVID situation and having you know, sat with this voluntary group and made scrubs and all the other things that we made to be able to give some not so great PPE to people, but better than nothing. And during that time, people were saying, you know, the polycotton, that they're made of polyester cotton. So, and we all know cotton is a really absorbent material. So actually, it's not great for infection control. Polycotton scrubs are unfit for purpose, and yet, certainly in the UK, we continue to purchase them and buy them as everyday uniform. And they were also baggy, shapeless, horrible things. People didn't feel valued in them. So I created a beautiful range of scrubs for people. The business exists to, firstly, Fit for Icons gives 10% of all its profits back to charities that support key workers, only key workers. This is not for general charities. This is for um, charities like Frontline 19, who set up during COVID and that was to provide free and confidential mental health therapies, services, interventions to frontline workers to recognise the difficulties that they were going through, the mental distress that COVID was causing and the rising numbers of people struggling with burnout and mental health issues that needed some support and were not getting it uh, so that was one of the you know one of the recognitions that those services provide support and intervention directly to these people that we are calling heroes um, but actually not doing anything practical for them you know words and clapping don't mean anything actions mean something yes uh, so that was the fit for icon side of it. And then I thought, this is bigger than just that. This is also about, um, and again, through COVID, recognising that there is the equity and equality issues in terms of access to services is a global problem. This is bigger than 
your local community and, you know, even the country that you're living in, there are people out there that cannot access vaccines because their countries can't afford to buy them. And as a human being, I cannot, with all conscience, turn a blind eye to that. Just can't do it. So the Fit for Icons Foundation is predominantly about... um, again supporting charities to those charities that provide direct interventions not the big charities that you no idea where this money is going um so uh, and some of the local things we've been doing in terms of fundraising for that is one of the initiatives set up by uh, a doctor called jog to jab and so people undertake sponsored jogs walks of whatever distance and they give that money to unicef to provide covid vaccines or just vaccines in general so we're looking at vaccine equity in that particular initiative and and so that's what the foundation does it's about equal and equitable access not just to health services but also to education services. So we're looking at uh, particularly the education of girls and in some countries, and also looking at social care services for for street children that are not maybe getting the support that they need. And that's my long-term vision, is to grow and develop that foundation so we can provide more of that type of support and the way we can do that is partly through fit for icons generating money to be able to uh, to support that foundation as well so that's what came out of covid for me wow um, that's beautiful thank you as well as Fit for Icons and the Gift for Icons that is just about to launch. Um, we also have family businesses, which are property businesses. So we have a property business and a finance business. And the property business started for me when I was still working as a business consultant and I went to the dentist and in the waiting room was a property magazine so i picked it up started reading it and i was hooked right from that first moment i was absolutely hooked on property development and how at that time was i want to build my own home or not physically build it because i don't have that skill set but how can i i can project manage it you know so uh so i spent about two, two and a half years researching everything I could on all the various aspects of property managing the build of your home and sold the family home and went on and built a family home. And that was the beginning for me of the property development business. And since that time, we've gone on and it's now a family business, um, the property development. We also have a finance business and it's almost the flip side of the property development in that to be able to build, people need funding. So we provide finance predominantly to property developers. 
I love so the way that have... you've used every little tool or every little lesson along the way to continue to build. And I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship is being able to find answers to problems and definitely your background and your the way that you seem to approach things is, okay, there's a problem. I can come up with a solution. And not only can I come up with a solution, I can help to support other people as I do that. So on Time Out with Sports, Doctor, this is your final time out. So you've shared a lot about your background and your story. And, you know, thank you for sharing that background because it makes me understand and it helps the audience relate more to your drive. Um, but there's uh, many people who have ideas and have a determination to make a change, but feel inferior. You know, that's one word that you mentioned or are paralyzed with the fear of what could go wrong. So if you could just speak to someone who knows they have an idea, know that they have a way that they can really impact the world, um, but are stuck in getting started, just speak to that person for me. Um, I think for me, it's reframing the way you look at negative experiences. So when I look back and I've said, I don't relate to that person, but I still carry all those lessons. And I think the biggest thing was adversity. If you're coming from that kind of perspective, adversity does not define who you are. It's not the totality of who you are. Yes. And if you reframe it in a positive way and say, adversity gives you skills and experiences and mind a mindset that you can carry through life and whatever you are faced with you know you're going to be okay you know you're going to deal with it you know that yes it might be hard it might for a while you might have to take a step back but you're still moving forward and to keep focused on that adversity makes you stronger yes. and it's it actually for me I look at it as having been a positive thing to get me to where I am in my life now and not just now but to carry me through the rest of my life so those valuable valuable skills learned through adversity I see as a positive I don't see them as a negative at all and that it's about self-growth and so don't focus on when people say to me, you know, um, they focus on getting rich and the financial wealth, you're looking at the wrong things because I've been there and I've been in that position and I absolutely know that mindset. But then when you start to think about why do you want those things? Why do you want the finances? Why do you want the wealth? And actually what we're looking for is to be happy. And so look at other ways that can make you, and, and people say, yeah, but it, those material things will make me happy. They won't. Because it's not until you, you think they will, and it's not until you get them, you realise how unimportant they really are. So you can have your 
nice sports cars you can have a nice house you can have a boat you can have all those things and then when you get them you realize I really don't feel that different it's not brought me what I expected it to bring me and um, I don't know if you've heard of there's a, a UK entrepreneur called Stephen Bartlett no. and I just he he's an amazing amazing young man and he wrote a book called Happy Sexy Millionaire. So he had set himself a target of achieving a million pounds. And this is what he expected. These were his goals. He was going to be happy. He was going to be sexy. He was going to develop this six pack. And he was going to be this millionaire. So those were the you know, that's what he, he was only a very young man when he yeah. set those goals for himself. And then when he achieved it, he said he felt really deflated that actually his expectations of what it would feel like to get there did not meet the reality of being in that situation. So going on to say that you read so many books that push you down this route of wealth is the panacea and with wealth will come happiness it will not because it's about you can't run away from yourself and you can't you know your own expectations of what that's going to bring you you have to really think about that so it's about us i think a journey about yourself it's a journey about learning not how much money i can get because a great quote I like is there are no pockets in shrouds and no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Right. So I, I, you know, I always think of those things. So it's about a journey of learning about yourself, who you are, um, what you want out of life and what is important to you in life. And you can be so rich without 10 designer handbags and three sports cars you know you you can be rich in different ways that's not to say that you can be totally happy if you've got nothing either you know it's uh money doesn't buy you happiness but and i do get that uh, without money you can be very unhappy so it's definitely uh, a happy medium. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely happy, medium. happy medium there. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, like you mentioned, reframing your hardships and reframing some of the struggles that you go through and using those to build success, as well as building a wealthy lifestyle more so than just money. Uh, so thank you for sharing with us today. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing and tell people how they can follow along or how they can contribute to what you're doing. Well, they can follow us on Instagram. So we are um, at Fit for Icons, at Gifts for Icons, at Fit for Icons Foundation, and also at Tess Wilson MBA. Great, great. And I'll share all that information in the show notes. Once again, thank you for your time. Looking forward to working with your company in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episode. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Keep our head right in the game. We ain't never stopping. You are now tuned in. Trust, you don't want to miss. This is where life, sports, and medicine.